This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Friday, July 31st, 2020, and my guest is no other than David Ruddock of Android Police. Hi, David. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Just got back from a lovely time at the DMV. Oh, wonderful. So you're really ready for some ranting. That's going to oh, be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we got a bunch of good stuff here. Let's start with the most obvious thing I think that my audience wants to know about, because I teased them for literally, I think, four podcasts in a row now about the Nord. So I know you don't have one, but you're the EIC of a major publication. I'm sure you spend a lot of time on Slack talking about it with your colleagues and reading other people's stuff. So I want to know what your just gut feeling take is on it. And then let's get into some details. I mean, if I had to describe it in a word, it seems like a home run. Um, I mm-hmm. think OnePlus really, they, they seem to have, the only criticism I really see are the standard OnePlus criticisms. Camera could be better. You know, there may be some bugs in the software, but other than that, everybody says this is 90% of the flagship experience for 50% of the cost. And that is going straight back to OnePlus's roots. And that's what everybody always wanted from them. That's what people have been asking for them to do for like three years now is to go back to that formula. And I think the, the kind of the insight, you know, we've all had about it is that OnePlus's old formula, which was taking the very top of the parts bin and then shoving it into a phone that cut corners elsewhere doesn't really work in 2020 anymore. The top no. end parts have become too expensive. Mm-hmm. And so what they did is they took what are now the upper mid-tier parts, but those parts are so good now that they're they're far closer to the flagship experience than if you tried to do that five years ago. It wouldn't have been possible five years ago with those kinds of parts. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's a really good analysis. And I think that we're going to talk about another phone from BBK Group in a minute. And and I think that there's a lot of part spinning going on on the OnePlus Nord, but it's not a bad thing. Like sometimes that can go really wrong. I think we can talk a little bit about that, um, it, about the other phone in a minute. But I feel like they did the right thing. The only things that are really annoying me on the Nord, that's my takeaway with my review, is when I found out that the mid-frame is plastic. <laughs> that's like a never-settle uh, anti never settle like what like seriously like how much more expensive can that be if carpay can tell us how much more expensive that can be i was really hoping that if this phone comes to the us and it should that you know and we're going to talk about that because there's a couple of news items there but if it does come to the us and it should i was hoping that because it probably can cost a little more in this market they would make a metal frame version of it because honestly i can live with everything else being OnePlus, there's no wireless charging. The only OnePlus phone is the 8 Pro. I don't like it, but I get it, and I can live with it. No headphone jack, I don't like it. I can live with it. The camera system is basically meh, except for the main camera, which is all we care about. And they didn't skimp out on the OIS. This is basically the OnePlus 8 camera. So I don't know. I feel like, you know, the screen is right out of the Reno 3 Pro, the non-5G version from like six months ago, uh, including the pill-shaped dual camera in the front, except the other phone has different dual front cameras in it, <laughs> in typical BBK fashion. But look, overall, I love this phone. It's great, but I feel like there's something missing. And I know it's kind of crazy to say that after you called it, like, you know, it's it's kind of like a masterpiece, but... I don't know what it is, David. There's something I can't put my finger on it that feels like 
they could have just gone that little extra dollar, you know? Yeah, I think that, you know, the market they're obviously targeting, they're targeting India first and foremost. And it's just such a different place in terms of what the customers want and, you know, how obsessed they are with specs. And that's, you know, I think that's the whole conversation turns back around to why isn't this phone being launched in America? And I think it's because it's targeted so squarely at a certain market. They know exactly what that market wants. They know the prices the market will tolerate. The competition is really strong in India at this price bracket. I mean, you know, the they have Indian pricing is insane have you looked at it yeah it's totally nuts i can't believe they can actually make money on them i don't think they are i mean are they assembling them in india do they have assembly in india yet i thought they did maybe they do and maybe that's why but i think like you know there's a big disparity between the uk pound euro pricing on this phone and the yeah and the rupees like you translate the numbers it's like anyway carry on yeah, I just think so, you know, getting back to like in India, yeah, obviously this is wildly successful. The customers want the highest tier chipset you can get for the dollar that really matters to them. They're hyper aware of this stuff. And then people say, well, okay, bring it to America then. It's obviously a great value. You know, people, the, the economy right now with the situation everybody's in, you know, a more affordable phone makes a lot of sense. That's an easy marketing story to tell. But the fact is that, you know, in the US, consumers are far less aware of like this kind of technology. They don't really care, generally speaking. They look at price. They're only concerned at the end of the day really ends up being money. And so then you have to look at channels. How do people buy phones? And well, it's the carriers. And I, I think you alluded to this on Twitter at some point that the carriers are going to screw this up. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. OnePlus is going to make a deal to bring a Nord to the US on T-Mobile or Verizon or something. And T-Mobile and Verizon are going to be like, we want this much margin built into it. Make it happen. Um, and that's what how it's going to be. And that actually is in a good segue for the quick in-between topic there on the Nord about this rumor. Well, it's not so much a rumor. The rumor that it's coming to the U.S. is not so much a rumor because Carpe has kind of confirmed that it might be coming to the U.S. But the rumor, XDA un, kind of found inside of Oxygen OS some references to a, a Snapdragon 690-based Nord. And if that's what we're getting, I have a lot of questions, David. Oh, I don't yeah. know how you feel, but... Well, I mean, we don't know much about the 690. To me, 690 looks like a 5G version, kind of hovers in the 720, 730 range, really. You know, it's Qualcomm's first stab. And that's not a bad chip. The 720, I think, is pretty solid, frankly. Yeah, totally. I, I just think, you know, it's going to, this is, this is Qualcomm's built to a price point 5G chip now, and they're going to, you know, they're going to cut and tuck things. I don't, I don't quite honestly remember the exact specs offhand, but I think, you know, that this speaks to the U.S. market where, you know, we see like brands like Motorola, you know, they release a lot of stuff with six series in the U.S. You know, you don't see, for example, 765 there so far is one 765 device coming to America, right? We've got one that's so far actually confirmed for retail. Well, and we, we have two confirmed for retail. Oh, we have the Velvet. And the Velvet, yes. The Velvet, yeah. So I think we've seen the brands, you know, really slow walk 765 in the US. And I think based on what I'm hearing about the experience of using those <laughs> devices, is that's quite intentional because everybody's coming out with this opinion that, you know, actually... These phones are really fast, and aside from intense gaming, like it's the same experience as the 865 in any meaningful sense. It absolutely know? is, and that's the thing that blows my mind about the Nord. It, it was my first 765G phone. I had a Velvet technically before it, but I never got around to playing with it before the Nord. And honestly, the Velvet doesn't feel quite as snappy. But the one that surprised me, and we'll talk about it about it in a second, is the Moto Edge. That felt really snappy to me as well. Um, back to your thing about the carriers and the Nord in the U.S. 
you know, the reason I bring up the 690 is because of what you just said. It re- really resonated with him where you said that they're going to mess it up. Because look, I think this is exactly what's going to happen. In order to get a profit margin, they're going to keep that phone at the sub 500 price, maybe 499 US, and they're going to put a 690 in it, right? And then, Carl, where's the never settle here? Like, come on, like, like I can understand you saying we're, we didn't, we wanted a flagship like experience, flagship level experience. So we dropped down from 865, which we all know is overpriced as hell. Yeah. To a 765, which also has all kinds of other economies of scales in terms of uh, power management, because I'm finding those 765 phones to be endurance champs, David. Like the Moto Edge is still on my original charge after four days. <laughs> I started reviewing it right after the Nord. I started literally the day after the Nord embargo lifted, the morning the Nord embargo lifted, the Monday, and I reviewed the Moto Edge in three days, which is a terrible way to review a phone. But it's still on the original charge now. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the same thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, I've not heard the same thing about Velvet, but I've heard the Moto Edge battery life is just ridiculous, and it seems it's like insane. Qualcomm seven series chips across the board, the battery life is really right. good. So why bring if you bring to bring the Nord? What you need to do is wait till the AT and AT Pro drop, or other even better than that, do what you did last time with the Mo, the One Plus Seven, where you never brought the Seven to the US. You brought the 7 Pro, right? So bring, don't bring the AT to the US, bring the AT Pro and then give us the Nord as it is now in wishful thinking, maybe with a metal frame for even 550 and make that the carrier phone. Because here's what I'm finding, David. I have absolutely no reason whatsoever to recommend the 8 anymore. I mean, obviously yeah. the Nord, right? Doesn't have like 5G bands that work in the US. It actually lights up the 5G icon on AT&T and T-Mobile. But I found out that it never connects to a 5G network. So it's yep. basically seeing a 5G cell tower. And I hate that. Um, thanks to Sasha Siegen at PCMag for writing an article about how a lot of Android phones that are 5G capable, that are foreign phones, when they see a 5G tower, light up 5G, you know, because mm-hmm. they're non-standalone. So they detect the 5G through LTE and then they stay on LTE. And even though they show the 5G, no. Anyway, so... You can't really get a Nord in the US today and benefit from 5G. But if they bring it to the US, you will. And at that point, the OnePlus 8 is really obsolete. Like, honestly, I don't even know how the OnePlus 8 can exist anymore at this point. I agree. Other than US carriers and agreements with US carriers. And that's why they'd bring to the US, right? Because like they would like Verizon. Can you imagine Verizon having had a custom version made for their stupid millimeter wave? How much (laughs) of a cow they would lose if OnePlus just started selling an unlocked OnePlus Nord? Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, OnePlus has made it clear that they're targeting the U.S. for high margin, high big money. They want the big money because everybody knows all the smartphone money outside China is made in America right now. You know, that's where people are buying thousand dollar phones. Yeah, and and people want the you know people can people pay for them because of the monthly payment plans. Exactly, and, and one, it's not really that people want to pay a thousand dollars that people and yeah. end up paying fifteen hundred dollars on their phone anyway because of plans and other stuff, and you're getting taken. People. You're getting taken. That's why I've always said buy an unlocked phone. Bring yeah. it to your carrier of choice. And that's why millimeter wave is the enemy right now, even though it's perfectly awesome technology. I mean, from a pure scientific perspective, it's kind of like next the next wave of radio engineering. I feel like it just doesn't deliver because Verizon doesn't deliver. And Verizon is 
not a value leader in this in this market. So if you want to live the 5G life in the US today, do yourself a favor, get a phone that's a low band, mid band, get on a carrier that's low man, mid band, <coughs> cough, T-Mobile Sprint conglomerate, because that's pretty much the only choice you have. Does, AT&T doesn't have mid band, do they? No, no. Nah, so there you go. And you're yeah. done. And honestly, you know, something I noticed is I have an unlocked Galaxy S20 and I live in an area with AT&T 5G. It shows 5G, but it doesn't actually connect. It's still using the LTE for for downloads and everything. So Uh. I think even Samsung is in the doghouse with AT&T on the unlock side. AT&T, I I could go on a long rant about what's wrong with their 5G. It's so bad. Suffice it to say, like, do not expect to bring an unlocked phone onto AT&T's 5G network for at least another year. I, I think it'll take longer than that, honestly. That is 100% my experience. I mean, not only does it do what you decide, what you describe, the, the whole, like, freaking lighting up the logo and not doing anything, but more importantly, um, I have found that you need a SIM provision. It's like T-Mobile. You take any SIM that's postpaid from T-Mobile that's on a relatively five-year or younger plan, it, you get 5G. I mean, it doesn't always work, but you get it. Um, in, on AT&T, you need to like jump to a plan that supports 5G. And I think they're changing that on August 7th. But the, the reality is like, what, what, what are you doing here? Like, like shouldn't it just work? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's- AT&T, you know, they're going, they want to go back to the old days where, you know, you got to buy your phone from your carrier or else it's not going to work right. And I think that that is really <sighs> kind of the, the insidious little scheme they're running here. Yeah, well, the whole VoLT stuff that uh, yeah. you know Ryan and you guys wrote about is—I don't want to get into that because, oh man, I could go on forever. But I mean, that's that's part of it, right? Like that's another way of of locking us in. And you know, don't let that happen. The reality is that even foreign phones I'm using on both T-Mobile and AT&T right now are generally lighting up on VoLTE, and so you should be okay. Just you know, be. Be ready for that because, especially on T-Mobile, it's going to happen very quick. So for me, the Nord, to summarize, I love the display in the 90 hertz. Uh, The cameras, I think, are good enough. Thankfully, they put OIS on the main sensor, and the main sensor is a very tried-and-true IMX586 that everybody knows how to do a good job with. And it pays off. Honestly, I think the main camera on the Nord blows away things like the Moto Edge, the Velvet... Like it's not, it's the only camera on that phone that's any good, but you know, uh, I mean, we all feel the same way about the two megapixel macros. We're all done with them, right? Like, I mean, that thing is garbage. Yeah. They're all pretty terrible. I mean, like that's the one thing that we're talking, we're going to talk about the edge in a second. The one thing the edge does well is it uses ultra wide for macro with autofocus and it it actually does a good job. Like, like the one plus eight pro does and like the seven T did and the seven Pro and all these other 7 series that OnePlus phones did. Uh, performance is really incredibly good on the Nord. If you put them side by side in slow motion with a video camera next to an 8 or an 8 Plus, you'll notice a little bit of stutter and lag in the scrolling in some areas with the Nord, but visually with your eyes, you're, you're not going to see it. It's just smooth as silk. Stock Android's pretty great. The value, of course, uh, depending on where you, what market you're in. Um, but the things that I didn't like, as I said, the plastic mid-frame, I think that OnePlus can't make a phone like that anymore. And, and Oppo is really, like, really pissing me off with all these $500 phones with plastic backs and plastic frames. What is this, 2015? Are we back? Like, it took a little while. There. Even the Moto G for a while with metal and glass, and now it's back to being full plastic. And, oh, man, like, 
come on, don't skimp on us like that. That sucks. No wireless charging we've talked about. I think OnePlus needs to go to wireless charging universally. I think actually the Chinese makers, if they want to be any success in North America, really need to get wireless charging going. Because with iPhone SE having wireless charging at $399, there's an entire generation of people that are going to be expecting that very soon, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to have to be a given. You know, manufacturers are holding it up as a way to push people to the more expensive SKUs right now, but I think that's going to have to stop. And then the no headphone jack is par for the course nowadays. So whatever, I'm going to bitch about it because I'm going to bitch about it. But I feel like at at that price point, it would make sense to have one. Oppo still has them, so that's kind of cool. But look, I think that ultimately, you know, the Nord is a is a slam dunk in many ways, and it's a bummer we can't get it here. And if they bring it here with a 690, David, I'm going to lose my freaking mind, <laughs> I swear. Yeah, I <sighs> think they really tempered expectations with that interview with Carl Pei and saying a, a, a Nord will come to the United States. And that was to me was just like, all right, I'm much less interested now. <laughs> I mean, we know the Nord is going to be a series, right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe they'll make a Nord Lite. But what does that mean about OnePlus then, right? Like, that's the thing I don't understand, David. It's like, you know, the Nord as it is today still hits all these pluses I just talked about. And that makes it what it is. But if you start, like, I'm not saying the Snapdragon 690 is going to be a bad chip. As you said, I think it's going to be fine. But not for a OnePlus phone. Like, the iPhone SE has Apple's best chip in it and costs $399, guys. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, we we've all kind of heard the scuttlebutt, you know, about OnePlus that there's a bit of a bit of a power struggle going on there, you know, and that's kind of why Nord exists, you know, is it that's, you know, this is all gossip. So it's it, <laughs> take it it take it with a huge grain of salt, but you know, kind of the the running narrative is that Carl is, you know, trying something new inside OnePlus and that maybe not everyone in OnePlus loves what's going on there and feel like he's kind of undercutting the brand and, you know, committing a bit of a coup which I'd argue in light of the OnePlus 8 versus the Nord, he definitely is. Um, you know, he's making a phone that in many ways is like is so much like just as good in 99% of ways It like half the cost. I'm not even sure it's the coup as much as it's kind of a set of circumstances and part spinning that makes this what it is. Like if you think about it, the OnePlus 8, as soon as they turn that third camera into a two megapixel macro when they have a perfectly good autofocus ultra wide on that phone, right? Yeah. They have it. They chose not to use it for macro in software. The hardware is identical to the 7T. So at that point, you're like, okay, so that was a bad decision. Um, you know, I really think in my review, I wrote this on, on Geekspin. I think the 8 should have had, that third camera should have been that weird um, thermal sensing infrared camera from the 8 Pro, right? It, yeah. would have been, it would have been fine. And then make, you drop the tele, fine, because you're saving money, and you keep the ultra-wide as a macro camera. Then you could actually say the OnePlus 8, you could actually say, look, the OnePlus 8 is a better phone than the Nord. But right now, the only thing that makes the OnePlus 8 a better phone is the processor. And you won't feel that in their day-to-day. If you're a gamer, you might. And then, of course, you know, at the time, that made sense. But at the time, is three months ago. Now is now. And the Nord is everything the OnePlus 8 is or was, but, you know, for a lot less with the 765G. And I think the carriers in the U.S., our perspective is going to be different than in Europe, where the 8 is probably, like, I don't know how they position it there. But here, you know, it's available from carriers. For some people, it's really significant to have that option. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. So... All right, so let's move on. We've uh, we've talked about the 
the uh, 690 Madness, but um, I want to talk about a phone that we both have for a change, uh, the Oppo Reno 4 Pro, non-5G, because there's a 4 Pro 5G that's came out like in June. This is the 4G version for India. You have one, I have one. What's your takeaway on that one? So I think that this phone is, like you said, it's it's Oppo part spinning. Um, it's you part know. spinning through the max. Yeah, and I think that overall, you know, I use it, and the problem I have with every single Oppo phone, and it drives me nuts, I just can't get past ColorOS. Every time <laughs> oh, yeah. there are these little decisions, and, you know, sometimes they make these things like, you can't swipe away a notification both directions. You like, have to pick a direction. Actually, they give you a choice of directions, yes, David. they do. They do, but I don't want it. I want my notifications to work <laughs> like they've worked on every Android phone for 11 years. Right. Just make it work the normal way. You know, and it's so hard to get past that with them, because you do see, you know, Oppo, to me like they are i would say the foremost outside aside from apple the foremost smartphone engineers out there right now yeah. they are doing things with technology where they're really trying to like innovate on you know they're doing basic r&d you know that i think a lot of companies like samsung even tend to struggle with oppo yeah. really throws a lot of money at that and so you yeah. see that in terms of their parts bin selection because oppo has a million things to choose from and that's why they can build a phone like this and at the same time when you look at a phone like this and like we were discussing before the show and you look at how much it costs you're like why did you build it like this <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's go over that real quick. So the phone just was the embargo was released this morning, like India time, and and the price was released at the same time. We both had the phone for a couple of weeks without knowing the price. Four hundred and seventy US dollars. Uh, what is that in uh, Indian rupees? Thirty four thousand nine hundred ninety. So it's a lot more than the OnePlus Nord. There. Then the it, the give you an idea. The top skew of the OnePlus Nord is like thirty nine and. Anyway, in the absolute, that's fine. And then you start looking at the specs and you go like, okay, so this has a Snapdragon 720G. All right. Uh, talking of part spinning, it has the OnePlus 8 screen with 90 hertz. That's a nice screen. That screen is probably the best thing of this entire phone right now, I think. Definitely. Right? And then you look around the back and cosmetically, I think it looks really interesting. It kind of like, like they took the iPhone camera pod thing, but it, like, elongated it so it's got like a little rectangle with little round individual lenses in there. It's quad camera of course you know put that in quotes because there's only one useful camera in there maybe the ultra wide is useful but it's not that good um and then you know you've got uh a 4000 milliamp hour battery and here's the thing that i don't understand david this phone's more expensive than the nord and it's made of plastic like the only thing that's glass in it is the front the display and then the frame is plastic the back is plastic it looks really nice but how like how does this work maybe somebody that's listening to the show from india can fill me in as to why you would want to buy this oppo over a nord there so you know and this is this is my opinion as an outsider looking in because obviously i don't have an intimate understanding of the market i do know oppo has really tried to position itself as a premium lifestyle brand right. they want to be seen as this you know high fashion object and they've really pushed that for years and i think that that's out of step with what their sub-brand Realme is doing, which is saying, forget about all that. We're just yeah. going straight on price. <laughs> you know, look at the chip, look at the price, look at the chip, look at the price. Um, you know, and that's kind of their whole thing. Whereas Oppo is much more, lives in this kind of place where I feel like, A, they make so much money 
that they just they they feel like they can do this. They feel like they can still experiment with this idea of becoming a luxury lifestyle first brand. You know, they get all these crazy licensing deals uh, for China, like the Gundam phone. I mean, yeah, it was yeah. so cool. Like, totally. but you're yeah. like, oh, how much did this guys? How much does this cost you guys? Like, it, it's <laughs> a lot. The answer is a lot. You know, this, these things aren't cheap. So I think Oppo considers some of its phones kind of a playground, and they really like the idea of them being coveted and special. But I think when I picked up the phone, I'm like, and then I saw the price today, I'm like, really? Like, it's it's just not worth it. To me, if this was $300 translated from rupees or three, even $350, i would be like, I can see that. The screen is really nice. This is a nicer screen than the Nord because it's the 8 screen. I mean, it's yeah. you're very close. Um, if you don't like... If you like flat screens, you like the Nord better. If you like slightly rounded cornered screen, you like the 8 better. But So the Oppo Reno 4 Pro, you know, screen's good. Battery life's fine. Camera, the problem with the cameras I have is that it doesn't have OIS on the main lens. And, you know, again, the Nord has OIS at that price. And it's part spinning. We know it's a Sony IMX586. We know that Oppo does a really good job with cameras. I'm sure the ultrawide will be okay. The, the macro is going to suck. And then there's a black and white two megapixel rear sensor. Like, what the F does that do? Can you please, like, I mean, better low light, I guess. But, like, like please, like, it's you're just part spinning again. Yeah, well, I think there is this real race among many of the manufacturers. They, it, they start just putting sensors on the back so it, you can say it's there. It, you can put it in a picture. You can say, look, it's got four cameras. Look at all these cameras. There's so many cameras cameras you've never seen so many cameras and i think that's why they do it i don't think it's to make the experience better no. i think it's just so they have that big cluster there and they can say look at all these cameras for sure and then i tried the selfie camera while i was sitting on the john last night <laughs> and i can tell you that it's good like this yeah, selfie camera is freaking pretty great and that's the thing about oppo phones the imaging performance has been pretty damn solid for a really long time now like i think at least a couple of years i feel like since Maybe it's been less than that. Since the original Reno, whatever that was, the 10X, right? That's yeah. when I turned the corner for me. Like, that's when I was like, oh, Oppo knows how to make cameras now. BBK knows how to make cameras. Watch out. OnePlus is going to make good cameras soon. And sure enough. And Vivo's doing a pretty good job, too. I've got the, by the way, good news. I've got the X50 Pro gimbal phone on the way. Oh, yeah. So so Ryan has been playing with that, too. And, you know, the gimbal is neat. Like, I've, I'm not going to lie. It's super interesting what it can do. That said, uh, you know, the, the area we always talk about photos on phones. But when it comes to video, man, do all Android OEMs have a long way to go before oh, they yeah. catch up to Apple. Oh, yeah. It's just not even close. I have to say, though, that the Nord is doing a good job. And I watched Ben Sin's review of the Oppo 4, uh, so Reno 4 Pro just last night as the embargo lifted. And he showed some video samples day and night. And the stabilization and the quality of the video is actually really impressive. So I think that... I think that they're trying really hard. And, you know, I don't want to dismiss the Oppo Reno 4 Pro for being overly priced and plasticky. Those are bad things. But I feel like overall, you're right. I think they're trying to hit that lifestyle premium vibe. And it's coming across. That phone feels really nice. And the specs are, are, are okay. I think the 720G is fine. I just feel that it's a little of a lackluster chip for that money. Yeah. 
Also, why have a 5G and a non-5G version all the time? Like, that just seems weird to me. Like, I understand it's price sensitivity in India where 5G networks are not prevalent, but 5G networks are really not prevalent in the US either if you think about it, right? So I think that it's weird to me that they would go through all the effort in engineering and making separate phones rather than the same hardware with maybe a slightly different chip in there. Uh, for 5G and then uh, the lack of OIS on the camera but on the plus you know it has freaking Super VOOC 2 65 watt yeah. like dual cell like charge in 36 minutes insanity yeah. and it does have a headphone jack which you know man I want my headphone jack in a $500 phone I don't care about a $1000 phone but a $500 phone please give me a headphone jack yeah. thank you that that 65 watt charging is amazing I remember when Vivo did their first phone with it and I was like did it really? I like walked away for like 10 minutes and I came back and I'm like, there's no way that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, so the Nord has 30 watt, uh, you know, the warp charge 30T thing. And I have to say, I've been charging it as uh, with a PD charger as well, a 45 watt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's certainly not as fast as with the the, the dedicated OnePlus charger, but man, it gobbles PD up like a boss. Like it really? easily does. It easily does 20 or 25 watt charging over PD. Interesting. Like I don't know what it's doing, but it's going PD faster than any OnePlus I've ever used before. Oh, I, that seems like another kind of Carl move where he's kind of like, you know, screw it. This is what people want. It could be a Snapdragon 765 thing that Qualcomm's putting in there too, right? Like, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, because of the warp charge, you know, uh, Oppo and all the BBK brands have to source their own PMICs that are compatible with that specific implementation. So I oh, think that's it's all right. basically custom. So, huh. you know, I wonder if they decided if there's a new PMIC iteration they're doing where it's just going to work with USB PD when it can. Yeah, maybe the maybe the Oppo parts bin for the PMIC for the 765G supports PD at faster, higher starting rates because I don't remember my One Eight Pro, which is my One Plus Eight Pro, which is my main phone, charging that fast over PD no. before. It's a bigger cell though, right? So yeah, Max is at fifteen watts, I think, on the Eight and Eight Pro. No, there you go. So anyway, look, the reality is this Oppo phone is cool. I, I don't, I just don't understand it very well. Maybe because I don't understand the market. I feel that a plastic phone that has no OIS on the camera and a 720G and no 5G and costs more than the Nord in the same market made by essentially the same company is kind of bizarre. Okay, that's they've, just They've me. done this with Vivo and Oppo too. Oppo's come out with a phone and then Vivo releases one that's like $150 cheaper and they're basically the same. And you're like, why? <laughs> and then, you know, I want to bring up again, if you've listened a few shows ago, folks, that I did this, I had this discussion with the Enobong uh, board at work about this awesome phone he reviewed. Actually, it was so awesome. I asked, I asked Xiaomi to send me one. It's the Redmi Note 9 Pro Max. In some markets, it's called Note 9 Pro without the Max. But it's a Snapdragon 720G phone with a 5,000 milliamp hour battery that's not all plastic. It does, I think, have a plastic midframe, but the back is glass. And has a good camera system and costs 200 US dollars. It's sold in the same market. It has a headphone jack, all the same things. And you're like, why not buy that if you're in in India? Like, really, I don't get it unless you want the Oppo cachet. I have to say the Oppo phone is sexier looking than the, you know. And and the display on the Oppo is is the OnePlus 8 display. Whereas that $200 phone has an IPS panel with a side-mounted fingerprint sensor. But really... At $200, you're not going to complain at that point. No. Uh, and you know what else, David? No NFC on the Oppo. Yep, that to me is baffling. Makes no and, sense. And they have no, I knew I have the previous iteration from India, the Oppo Reno 3 Pro with the P95 Helio chip, and that also doesn't have NFC. And guess what? That 
Redmi phone at $200? Guess what it has? NFC and Apple Pay. I mean, Google Pay, sorry. Well, anyway, let's talk about a phone that you can buy for almost the same price as the Oppo Reno4 Pro in India, but you can buy it in the US right now, the Moto Edge. This phone better stay $500. I believe I sent an email. Well, if you read my review, the last sentence in my review is the email I sent to Derek last night. Derek is a lovely person at Moto. I said, Moto, if you're listening, make that $499 price permanent and work on some software upgrades to improve those shooters. Because basically that phone is damn impressive for $500, except the cameras are mangled. Yeah, yeah. Moto's got weird processing issues on Moto's cameras. Like, I don't know what they're doing, but it's the multi-frame thing is not working right. But here's the thing, David. I reviewed the Edge Plus as well. And for the first time, I saw a glimmer of Moto making a good camera. It was pretty damn great. It wasn't, it wasn't like Samsung and iPhone great. Certainly wasn't Pixel or Huawei great. But it was definitely up there holding its own with the OnePluses and the freaking LGs of the world. And then we get the Edge, which is right now half the price. But they completely messed up the cameras. Like everything else is great. It's the same display, 765G, highly optimized software. You get a headphone jack. The battery life is insane. As I said, I'm still on like my single original charge after four days. And I've used it every day. I've turned it off at night. That's it. Took all my photos with my review with it. It's still going. I don't know. Maybe I'll never have to charge that phone ever at this point. I, I have no idea. But the, the point is, it's like the cameras, 64 megapixel Samsung sensor, and they removed OIS from that. And they have a telephoto, which they dropped from 3X to 2X, David, but they removed the OIS on the telephoto. So it's like, okay, here's a question for you. You tell me what you think. You have a 64 megapixel sensor, assuming it's well sorted and you do a good job with it. It has no OIS, but then you add a 2X telephoto. Is the 2X telephoto actually useful at that point? I think so. And I think we I think we see that still. You know, I've been playing with the Pixel 4 again recently and using its optical zoom. And granted, Google is the it's ultimate example. Yeah, Google is the ultimate example of how to do this right. But at the same time, like I think Apple works pretty well with the optical too. I think the optical lends you advantage. Yeah, but they don't start with a 64 megapixel sensor where they can crop the crap out of it. Yeah. Like, that's I, what I'm saying. Like, you know, if you have a 12 megapixel sensor, having any telephoto is a good thing. If you have a 48 or 64 megapixel sensor, I think you need at least a 3x telephoto because 2x on a crop sensor, even in low light, is fine. Yeah, you know, I think it's fine. I think you still do the detail resolution is not going to be as sharp. Um, you're no. still going to have a little bit of that. And I think for me, somebody who does like cameras a little bit, I'm like, no, I want the optical solution. I'm, I'll, I will always ask for the optical solution. But here's the, here's the scary part. Here's the scary part. I've actually compared this. I've 2x the 64 megapixel on the edge by covering up the, sen- the telephoto sensor so mm-hmm. it, it switches. And I compare that to the output of the 8 megapixel telephoto at 2x, and it's better with the Samsung 64 oh, megapixel no. sensor. <laughs> no, not because of technical, like it shouldn't be, but the 8 megapixel telephoto is so soft with no OIS, especially with no OIS. Look, that phone has serious software issues with the camera. Like, the more I'm using it, because it's like, again, I only reviewed it for three days, and my review actually doesn't reflect 100%. It's worse than I thought. Like, every time I use it more, I'm like, really, Moto? What is this, like, prototype beta software? Because it feels... Like, you saw some of the reviews. People are literally seeing smudges yep. in, air, in photos where there was nothing moving. 
And you're like, how does that even happen? And then, oh, the, the, I took a ultra wide photo in low light. It has, oh, it has, by the way, it has no night mode on the ultra wide. Like what? <laughs> um, and, and then I took it and it was literally paintbrushes. Like on the screen, it looked okay. I brought it on my Mac and I was like, uh, this is, sm this is just, there's nothing here. It smudges. There's, I cannot use this photo. <laughs> yeah, Ryan had some similar things. And honestly, these were there on the Edge Plus too, even there were some similar problems with processing um, with yeah. ghosting images. So clearly Moto is trying some new stuff. I bet they're baking this in-house. And I think that's what it is. I think Lenovo is uh, trying to get their own camera algorithm spun up. And I think they're going to probably rely less on Qualcomm's ready-built solutions, which honestly are not very good. Um, and I think probably we're encountering some of the first hiccups um, as they go through this. I mean, my takeaway is, at $500, this phone is a slam dunk other than the camera. Like everything else about it. The design is super high-end, metal and glass, beautifully made. You know, the display is a like or don't like. The edges are way too insane. But I don't have any weird issues with the finger detection, like bad, you know, weird uh, ghost fingers or whatever. So that's working. Um, it's not my thing. I'd rather have like a regular flatter or slightly less waterfall display, but I can get the appeal. It looks super sexy. The phone is really narrow because of it. Uh, it has a headphone jack. It has micro SD, which the Ed Plus doesn't have. But really, how do they, like, if their idea of downgrading the camera, I, I would have much rather them see go from 108 megapixel to 48 Sony IMX586 with OIS, like Lenore did, and just leave it at that, and then remove the telephoto and just give us the rest like you did, you know, uh, already. Because like six, that 64 megapixel Samsung sensor, I have yet to see a good implementation of it. I, I feel that sensor is just not as good as Sony's. And, no, and then on top of that, you get Moto garbage software version of the camera stuff so yeah if they bring that phone back up to $700 there's absolutely no way I can recommend oh, it no. like not even close that buys you a OnePlus 8 with OIS on the camera okay and a Snapdragon 865 like forget it right wouldn't you agree yeah absolutely no $700 is, is dead on arrival for that phone like I'm glad they, they realized that and dropped the price but if they bring the price back up that phone's done like Forget it. It's off of my list completely. So, For wow. sure. Yeah, right? Okay. Well, anyway, let's move on to some news. Uh, so I just want to quickly say my Edge and Nord reviews are up. I'll link in the show notes below. And I don't have much of anything up for the uh, Oppo, but I'll try to get an unboxing video because I recorded it, but I never... I never edited it. So let me try to put that up sometime in the next few days. Um, let's talk about Pixel a little bit. Um, there are lots of rumors and leaks. I guess this phone is supposedly coming out on August 3rd now. Looks like Google kind of leaked that one, didn't they? Yeah, they sure did. Their little teaser. Was that intentional, you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I thought at first it looked like it was caught like on some kind of like the, the, the Lauren Ipsum thing looked like it was, a, you know, a mistake. But maybe that you may be right. Maybe it was intentional. Yeah. So I think, you know, we, we know at this point it's August 3rd. Um, and we know basically everything about the phone, <laughs> like there's not much mystery remaining. I mean, I, I hope the pricing is right. That's my biggest fear right now. It's like, when I look at the, like somebody just actually emailed me the other day, a friend of mine that I work with at Burning Man said, Hey, Miriam, you're a phone expert. I have $400 to spend. I want to buy an unlocked phone. I'm on a Samsung phone right now, but I always buy my phones unlocked, usually last year's model. and you know, she didn't say what carrier she was with, but she said, I need a less than $400 unlocked phone. What do you recommend? 
And of course, the Pixel 3a came to mind because it's exactly $399. But then I was like, I told her, you know, hold off a couple of weeks if you can because there's a Pixel 4a coming. But if the Pixel 4 is less than the 3a right now, that would be pretty amazing. Like, I don't know what they're going to price this as. I want them to price it. Like, I in my ideal world, in the Miriam universe, the pink universe of Miriam, I would I would price it $299. <laughs> It'd be crazy. Um, but um, maybe maybe $350. I don't know. I feel like they need to do something about the price. $399 for a 3A is way too much. When I, so, I mean, it's been on sale a lot, but that's the regular price, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, based on what we know, you know, 350, it looks like, you know, that's the we, we have the billboard that was leaked months and months ago, the billboard mock up, I should say, um, right. that showed 350 is the price. And then we also learned that, you know, Google was planning to get rid of the 64 gigabyte SKU. Um, they weren't going to do that anymore. Then they got rid of the Excel model. Um, but then it sounds like it's kind of coming back. <laughs> and then did, the, did this? Yeah, let's talk about that in a sec. But did the specs leak out at all on the memory on this? Is it four gigs or more? So I believe it's been leaked a number of times that this will be a six gigabyte phone. Oh, good because I mean, you know that if anybody's still running a last year's three XL or something, yeah, that this is going to be a pretty great upgrade. I think that was a, that was a hard lesson learned for Google, saying four gigabytes is enough. Some, some very <laughs> big Bill Gates energy there. They had six forty k is all you need. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that uh, look, I I love the design of the phone. I like the colors. I don't know what's going to happen with that. The purple was so nice on three A. But the thing is, for me, it's the the, the screen. It looks so modern, like the leaks we've seen. Like I feel like. You know, it's got that iPhone 11 vibe, like that kind of chunky bezels, but the equal all the way around, which I really like. I like that look. Um, and of course, the, you know, looks a lot more modern than the 3A. And how do you feel about the rear fingerprint sensor? Because we both came from rear fingerprint sensors to in-display, and now we're all used to in-display again, like those you and I and people who review phones. But I kind of feel every time I go back to a, a rear fingerprint sensor, I kind of dig it, actually. You know, I think there are ups and downs. And so, you know, I, I actually have come to prefer the front-facing scanner because, uh, especially on large phones, it's just ergonomically simpler. Like, I'm yeah. much less likely to fumble a phone if I'm, you know, trying to get my thumbprint on the front. than if I'm trying to reach my index finger all the way up to the tippy top, I've dropped a lot of phones that way over the years. So there's that. You know, but we know capacitive scanners are much faster. You know, they are honestly seem a lot more reliable too so i think it's it's definitely a preferencing there are also people who like are ready to die on the hill of being able to pull down the notification shade with the fingerprint oh, scanner yeah, gesture yeah, yeah. you know which they they love it um i've never been a fan myself so you know i, I think that it's a it's one of those budget decisions that is not controversial. I think you can say that much. Like you can say that, no, you don't need an in-screen fingerprint scanner. You don't need to spend the extra money on that. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to kneecap you for that. You know, it's, it's a totally justifiable decision. For sure. I, I feel for me, the thing that every time I go back to a capacitive fingerprint sensor on the back is it's in my pocket. I reach for my pocket and I touch the fingerprint sensor with my index. And by the time I look at the phone, it's unlocked. Whereas without you know, I've got Face ID that works on some phones, but then I can't Apple Pay or Google Pay. And then I've got, you know, the thumb and then it becomes a little awkward. So I feel like it's a little faster, basically, overall. For yeah, me. I agree. It's more natural. I, I definitely that was my argument for years was the whole I'm pulling out of my pocket. I already know where to put my finger screens on by the time I'm looking at it. You know, that is definitely true. So, OK, 
So four is coming. We have a rough idea of everything. Definitely August 3rd now. What is your take on this 4A 5G? What does that mean for the Pixel 5? Is this the Pixel 5 or is it literally a 4A with a bigger screen, a bigger battery and 5G and a Snapdragon 765G or 690 for all we know? What do you think is going on here? So I think we know it's going to be 765. That's been pretty well cemented at this point. I, I think if that's not true, I would be very surprised. Also, Google never picks the bleeding edge chips. It never wants true. something brand new. They want something that's a little tried and tested. Um, and maybe they just can't move as fast. But I think that the 4A 5G, you know, what I've heard so far um, is that we're going to see a mid-range phone positioned as, you know, pixels kind of like entry level into, into 5G. It'll be bigger um, because it's going to be, you know, 5G is obviously more of an enthusiast facing kind of like technology right now because no ordinary consumers really don't care or notice it. Um, and so, you know, how that's going to be priced, I don't know. Um, a 765 um, and 5G, you know, I could see, especially if it's on Verizon and gets millimeter wave, that could be a fairly expensive phone, even with a 765 and no wireless charging and no IP rating. I don't see that being a Verizon phone at all. I think the 5 will be a Verizon phone, but I think, I think the, you're right. for, for me, the 4A 5G seems to be like $100 more. Yeah, I, I think that's, like, you know. At 450, even at 500, that phone would be pretty freaking dope, in my opinion. I think so too. And, you know, based on what we've heard so far, if it all holds true, if we get 765G, if we get low mid-band 5G, if we get a decent OLED screen, you know, if we get the tele if we get the telephoto camera back, which, oh. Yeah, I'm, that's supposed to be rumored, right? Yeah, exactly. If we get all of that, it's hard for me to see how Google could mess that up and, and have people come down on that as a bad phone. I feel like that feels kind of like the perfect phone because it's what I want. I want a little bit of future readiness. I want to be ready for low and mid band um, on T-Mobile and AT&T. I want that tele I want that telephoto camera because I know what it does on the Pixel 4 and it does good things and I want that that extra speed in the processor because the 765 is going to do way better than the 720 or 730. There's something else you want, David. Wireless charging. I don't think it's going to have it. I don't think it's going to have it either and that's just bumming me out right now. Yep. And it's going to be plastic. Yep. Will it remain? Will the headphone jack remain on I bet the 4A 5G? I bet it will. And then the other thing is, uh, that's why you see, that's why I don't think is going to be ultra, uh, ultra wide band and millimeter wave version of this. It's too, it's not in that same price league as what Verizon expects this kind of phone to be. So does that mean we're still getting a Pixel 5 though? Because we've heard all this time that the Pixel 5 is 765G, right? Yep. Yeah, and I think we are. And I think, you know, this is this is all speculation. We know incredibly little about the Pixel 5. You know, there's just not that much out there. I think what we're going to get is, you know, a phone that drops Face ID, which I'm so sad about because Google's Face ID is really good. It's, it's, it's really good. Yeah, it's close as anybody's gotten to real Face ID on iPhones. It's still not quite there. But anyway, we're going to lose that. Um, we're losing solely, which I don't care about. That was whatever. Nobody does. Yeah. Nobody really cares about that. And Are we getting an ultra wide? Please. I, I, I want my freaking ultra wide. I wish. I mean, I don't know. Google's taken a lot of flack for that over the last few years. Well, it's like the four gigs. Like, come on. Like, get yeah. with the program, Google. Yeah. I think what we're going to get mostly over the 4A5, it will get a phone that's probably about the size of the Pixel 4A, but it'll have a metal frame glass back and then we'll have ip68 yeah. and wireless charging and then we'll have the faster chipset and a, a nicer display a substantially nicer display and i think that's the phone we're gonna get and it's gonna be a 100 bucks more 
Yeah, exactly. 485G. I would guess that it, the but it's going to be a thousand dollars though. That's the thing. They're going to they're going to they're going to f this up. Like they're going to make it too expensive. Google's made their phones way too expensive. I bet my okay. I, I have no inside information. I bet Pixel Five is six hundred or six fifty. I bet that's where okay. they're going to put it. So it's a hundred dollars more than what we both calculated the four A five G should be in our heads. Yeah, and I think that's probably the smart place place to put it because they can't you know because the velvet is six hundred. They can't go far above that. Yeah, but the ah, the velvet. I don't even get me started. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I've decided for my velvet review that I'm going to use it without the dual case, and I'm going to point to my. It's I'm writing it for the same pub hot hardware. I'm going to point to my V60 review for the case because I do not want to write a single line about the freaking case. I am done with yep, these dual screen. Totally, cases. it's it's a gimmick. Totally. I'm now using the Velvet as a single display phone, like a normal everyday phone that uh, somebody would walk into a carrier and buy. And honestly, it's it's fine, but it's just not. It's very LG. The software yep. is just oh man, the software. Like seriously, I feel like I honestly feel that Xiaomi is better now. Like somehow, Ugh, you know that's I'm rough. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. I'm I'm exaggerating. But maybe Oppo is better. No, okay. ColorOS actually on it didn't it didn't but hurt me too hard on the Oppo Find X2 Pro. Somehow I kind of didn't mind it. Okay, a bunch of news items. We're going to just kind of rapid fire through here. Uh, Galaxy Z Fold 2 has leaked. I think that Max Weinbach lost his mind when he posted that. I'm sure he did. And I don't mean that in a bad way because Max is wonderful. So um, what do you think? That looks pretty sexy. That looks like kind of what the Fold I wanted to have last year looked like. Yeah, I think so. I think that overall, like, it's it's the evolution everybody asked for, right? I mean, it ticks the boxes where I was like, I want it to be a little cleaner, more modern design, want the cameras to be upgraded, you know, a little bit. And I think, you know, more more modern Samsung design aesthetic. And finally, a screen that covers the entire front. Almost. Other than the hinge. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the front display, you know was always in the first model a huge compromise in every way <laughs> and that's ironic because it the, the compromise was it was tiny so <laughs> making it bigger and more I mean, usable is definitely priority one i think it kind of felt like you know the zoolander phone basically um folding edition and then uh, of course the original had such a nasty amount of bezel cutout crap this 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 nice. This looks like a nice and clean design inside with the hole punches. I, I mean, look, I'm really excited about what this is gonna bring. I use the Galaxy Z Flip, the smaller one, the ver the the razor kind of phone, and I really was blown away by that phone. Like, I felt like I was touching the future, David. I was like, holy freaking hell, this is incredible. Yeah, and definitely. then. And now I'm imagining this in a larger form factor with the same build quality. And I'm like, yeah, I'm there. I'm there 100%, even if you call it glass or whatever it is. But whatever, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how more, because I think a lot of these things with foldables, I'm looking forward to the subtle refinements. I want to see how much smoother the screen looks, you know, like if they've really figured some of those things out, make it look a little more glass-like. Because I think that's my biggest aversion still is like, eh, it's still like, it looks like plastic. <laughs> Yeah, the Z Flip was a lot better, though. Like, sure I was. felt like, yeah. And then, uh, you know, we're going to get a whole bunch. It's going to be Samsung week next week. Is it next week? It is, yeah. Oh, God, I'm not looking forward to that at all. going to be an avalanche. Uh, oh, my God. 
And the note with the, we're never going to hear the end of the note 20 with the Exynos. Like that's going to be like threads and threads and comments and moderation <laughs> on Android police for days. It right? will. Yes. People get very upset. Oh my God. So what do you think about this Qualcomm 100 watt quick charge five? I was on that briefing and I was like, wow, really? This is cool. I like the idea that it could become a universal thing like PD is, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they just, they went and goosed what Oppo's doing. <laughs> like, you know, it's the same thing. Like Basically. Yeah. yeah, it's the same thing. They're just using, so it's dual PMIC. So you've got dual power uh, integrated circuits in the chip and the phone to handle it. And then you use stack cell batteries. Um, so you basically have two logical cells in the phone and you charge them both at the same time. And obviously it's like if you have, you know, if you had two, uh, you know, 50 watt chargers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if like you had two, you know, gas inlets on your car, you could gas it up a lot faster if you're, you know, same size tank. But if you can put hook up two hoses, you know, obviously the game changes. So, and I think that's, you know, as an analogy, that's what this technology is. It makes sense. I think we're going to see it in a whole three phones next year, if that. Yeah. <laughs> and I look, I'm really excited this coming from Qualcomm because even though Quick Charge is not always supported, um, it's an option and it means that we are going to see it we might see less proprietary charges going forward is what I'm hoping. I mean, obviously Chinese phones are a different universe. They already have all their stuff. And and by the way, there's a lot of compatibility. I, I, I did some testing. Oppo and, and Vivo and OnePlus can interchange yep. chargers, no problem, by the way. Um, what's interesting is, this is going to blow your mind, Xiaomi and Huawei can interchange chargers. Interesting. I didn't know Xiaomi was using um, one of those like uh, like super boosted uh, charging standards. They do. Uh, what phone is it? The Mi 10. I have the oh, Mi okay. 10 non-pro. And surprisingly, my Huawei charger charges it fast and vice versa. So I'm like, huh. I wonder, I wonder if they licensed it from Huawei. Maybe. I mean, Huawei Honor definitely compatible chargers, but that we knew. Um, so, I mean, look, we live in a world, in a world where 100 watt charging is commonplace, right? Like, I mean, this is where we're at. Like, I think this is kind of exciting to me. I mean, as much as like my wireless charging, it's nice at night and in the car. Um, I feel like quick top-offs are becoming a thing. And like, as you said, you plugged it in, you went for like 10 minutes to, you know, check the roses in the garden and you came back and, oh my God, look at that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, honestly, for me, it gets toward the goal of one power brick to, to bind them. I want one power brick for everything. It does all of my gadgets, no matter what. Yeah. And that's kind of where I've been with PD, but I'm hoping laptops adopt uh, quick charge as well or become dual compatible with like PD 65 and quick charge 100 or whatever. It'd be really nice to have that on a laptop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hope their PMIC is able to work with like Intel chips and stuff or integrated with Intel chipsets. It'd be interesting to see. Uh, another bit of interesting news, we talked about um, what other 765G phones are available in the US or soon to be. And uh, Nokia announced they're bringing the 8.35G to the US officially this fall with an IPS panel. Are you ready for that? Yeah, that's interesting. I am going to watch curiously how they price it. You know, obviously Nokia prices very aggressively, um, but this yeah. phone is, is 600 euro, um, which I think to me is like, ooh, I bet this could end up being too expensive in America. 
Well, they're going to have to price it. I mean, right now, the writing's on the wall. 600 seems to be the sweet spot, like with the velvet. And, you know, the edge is a little cheaper, but normally a little more. And we know how that's going to go because they better keep it down. And then whatever the Nord brings to the US, if it still plays in the same league with the 765G, then I'm sure it'll be 500. And then who knows what else is going to happen. There's going to be other phones, like you said, the Pixel 4a 5G and maybe the Pixel 5. It'll be really interesting to see I mean, I'm really happy we have the potential here. We're sitting at the cusp of potentially a five to six hundred dollar mid-range category for the U.S. Yeah, and I think you know, um, you know, I don't know if you've talked with Avi Greengart recently. He did a post about this, like how the the economy just kind of going in the toilet is going to really open up. Well, yeah, you know this 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 area in phones where the U.S. to date it's, in, it's been a no man's land. You know, phones haven't been six hundred dollars since like two thousand twelve. Like it's been a good long time. So I think you know there's there's definitely some credibility there in terms of there's being consumers saying. I can't afford a $1,200 phone over 24 months. It doesn't matter if it's over 24 months. I'm now, people are going to be much more cost conscious. So I think there is going to be a space for these phones. And I think that it's, you know, the timing is, you know, is serendipitous in that, you know, the 765 is the chip to make it happen and make consumers go, this is just as good as any high-end phone I would buy in any appreciable sense. And also, you know, the market pressure is there. Um, push yeah. people down. And I think right now, the only thing we need to get is the carriers on board, really, because ultimately, you know, the pandemic is really proving that people, you know, people are suffering economically and people want to pay less on their for their phones. And whether they get them through a carrier or buy them unlocked, they still want a lower monthly payment. They want a lower payment on their credit card if they pay for it up front or on their uh, payment plan through the carrier if they pay to it through carrier. So, you know, I'm kind of sick and tired of people saying, well, but Miriam, that's never going to happen with that price tier in the US because the carriers are going to continue, you know, peddling the 865 phones for, you know, BOGO and all that other stuff. But I feel like you're right. This is this is needed. And hopefully we get it because we need it. We need it bad. I, I right? think I think what we're going to see here is, you know, carriers are all struggling to move handsets right now. They all know this, you know, and, and there's no sign that's going to relent in a big way before next year. You know, we all know why. So, you know, that's, you know, just related to the fact that retails, you know, in a real hard, you know, hard up place right now, consumers are being, you know, much more careful with their money. But these carriers have to start getting people transitioning to 5G. They have to get them signed up for new plans to, you know, commit them to, you know, more and more months of service, which is where the carriers make their money. And if carriers decide, well, we can't sell them a thousand dollar phone, you know, that's not their real concern at the end of the day. The phones are gravy. The phones are just, you know, like, hey, if we can make some more money on top, that's awesome yeah yeah at the end of the day they're selling service if you're paying a hundred dollars a month or 150 dollars a month to at&t for two lines or something you know how much money that is over the course of two years it's a lot more money than that you're talking about yeah, like sure. thirty six hundred dollars yeah. or more um yeah and that's that's what at&t's after that's what they're all after so i think if they realize well you know if we make if we if the consumers decide they want cheaper phones the carriers will bring them you know they're not stupid yeah, I hope so. I hope they they come along, and I hope Qualcomm doesn't you know get too pissy about the incredible profit margins they have on the eight sixty five. I'm sure. Yeah. Or do they? Uh, you know, I think that Qualcomm. You know, one of the things I, I did a big piece about millimeter wave a couple of months back, and one of the things that you know was was made clear to me is that. Qualcomm, you know, can't change its roadmap. Qualcomm can't can't decide to make a different chip. You know, halfway through the year, that's not how any of this works. But 
Qualcomm can decide to cut prices. Qualcomm can say, okay, you know, we look at the market and we see what's going on and uh, we're going to respond by putting, you know, negative price pressure um, at the top end of the portfolio to make sure manufacturers keep coming in and they feel like they're getting better margins. So, you know, Qualcomm absolutely has that power. And I think after this year of poor sales um, for 5G handsets, I think the hubris um, of offering, you know, the premium 5G option is going to fade quickly. We can hope. I mean, I I really want to see. I, I six hundred is fine, but I really want us to see something in the four to five hundred dollar price point. That's not sucky. That's why the Nord really got me excited, and that's why you know, in a way, the Edge got me excited until I played with the camera. But I think like, you know, there's certainly we're starting to see. I think a, a change in the right direction in the industry, and that's making me pretty happy. And uh, yeah, I mean. You know, it's good for the consumer in the end, and that's what we want to see. Um, speaking of interesting bits of news, I was kind of surprised by this one. Huawei is apparently the number one smartphone maker in the world. How did that happen? Oh, we know. I mean, no offense to them. Yeah, China. But I mean, like, seriously, like, I love me a Huawei phone. That P40 Pro Plus, man, is like, I don't know if you played with that camera. You need to do yourself that favor and play with that camera. It, it's better than everything else. Like, forget the Pixel now. Seriously, it's that good. It's, it's, they fixed a bunch of bugs from the P40 Pro, and then they added a second tele that's a real 10x optical. <laughs> it's unreal. Yeah, it seems like it's a great camera attached to a uh, pretty useless phone, unfortunately. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's, I'm just saying, you're a, pho- you're a photography person, right? Like, that's why I'm saying, like, yeah, it's fascinating. Do yourself a favor as somebody who keeps tab of the technology improvements and get yourself a P4E4 Plus from Huawei PR, you won't regret it. It's, it's really impressive. But so, number one, what, what do you, what's your analysis on this? Well, I think, you know, we have a couple of things going on here. First off is that, you know, retail in China has largely been reopened for a good amount of time now. Um, so, you know, you have consumers getting back in stores and they're buying things again. Um, China, you know, the carriers there are pushing 5G super hard. Um, so you have, you know, I think there are probably some good incentives going on. You know, not China is not a market where I have a lot of expertise, but I do understand Huawei has had an ascendant position in the market there for a few years now in terms of just dominance on top of dominance and you know they spend tremendously on marketing you know it's now seen as very patriotic to buy a huawei phone um, in china there's that effect going on there too you know the iphone is starting to fall out of vogue a little bit um you know is there kind of the antagonism um toward american products and companies grows a little bit in certain circles there so i think you see a lot of that um, I think you see the fact that Huawei has diversified its market position more and more. Um, you know, Honor is definitely, you know, has put more and more SKUs out over the years. They're really, you know, they're they're spitting out phones as fast as they can. So, and China's just so big. China's such a huge market. And then on top of that, you have the remaining sell-through of the Huawei phones in Europe and SE Asia that did have Google services and the Honor yeah. phones. So they're still pushing those. And I bet they're still building them too. You know, I bet they're still making those phones because they still want to get the sales. So I think that, unfortunately, that it's not sustainable. Um, Huawei will no. always be in the top five globally just because of China. But, yeah. you know, I think this position is number one in the market. It is is going to fall fast come Q3. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's a temporary thing. But it doesn't mean that, you know, it's not remarkable. And I think that, you know, kudos to them for being number one finally for, I think this is the first time, isn't it? I think so. Yeah, definitely. You yeah. know, I think it's I mean, because they've always hovered around number two, number three, and that's not surprising. 
They are a massive company and they make some honestly great hardware. Uh, you were saying earlier that you feel like Oppo is really pushing, like is really the engineering uh, Android master. And I feel that Huawei is right next yeah, to them. Like definitely. I really feel that they're constrained right now by this whole Google restriction. But man, Huawei phones, dude. Like every time I go back to them, even without GMS right now, I'm just like, wow, this hardware is just, mind-bogglingly good and you forget because you play with a samsung phone you play with even an iphone the hardware on iphone is beautiful but then you you look at what huawei brings and honestly i feel it's, it's they're in a different league like it's just a whole different ball game yeah and as an engineer that turns me on i'm sorry it's pretty damn great yeah Huawei does you some know? interesting stuff i think that you know unfortunately you know i've i've said this a few times now i think that even if we get a change of administration i think huawei remains in hot water i just don't yeah, see that oh, changing no doubt no doubt i mean i think they might get their gms license back but i think we're not going to see anything in terms of availability and cares like we were about to see with the uh, mate 10 back in the day or anything like you know <laughs> networking equipment in the u.s or, anything or, like or that, let alone right? access to process nodes like yeah that, exactly, that's a big right? problem for them and so the final news of the day of the week i should say it's not of the day is not surprising and probably a very 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 good thing cs 2021 is going virtual I mean, thanks to you, David. Yep. Thanks to me. It was all me. I'll take all the credit. Yeah. I'm blaming you for that crazy <laughs> story you wrote. No. I mean, good, right? Like, I mean, inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Inevitable. I mean, I think everybody was kind of holding on to a thread of hope that, well, you know, maybe it'll just die off over the summer. And I think that's all, that's <laughs> all that was going on there. And COVID was like, ha F you all. Yeah. COVID put on its shorts and, uh, you know, put a little sunscreen and uh, put a, put, put hush to those plans pretty quickly. So I think the digital event, I don't know about you. I think it's going to be a disaster. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a complete nightmare. I am not looking forward to this in any way shape or form i'm not looking actually honestly feel like anything else right now any trade show right now is completely irrelevant to me at this point until we can travel again and actually for me it's really about getting hands-on with the yep. phones and the devices and touching them and seeing them with my own eyes and handling them and that can't happen that's fine and i mean look the reality is as much as this really sucks for all of us right now We've been getting our phones, we're getting our review units, we're playing, we're testing, we're reviewing. It, nothing's different. No. And honestly, yeah, we don't get hands-on videos anymore, but we get our reviews videos and we get our, our unboxings and stuff. And I don't see what the big deal is. Like, I, I hate to say that because I love the travel and I love the meeting in person with people, but this is this is going to be bad for the trade show industry long like. It's going to redefine everything. Oh, I think you're I think you're totally right. I think the company is going to look at how much money they were spending, you know, especially as the economy economic fallout continues are going to say, "Wow, we saved a lot by not doing that." Um and right. and look at what else we could spend it on. So I think there's been, you know, this is such a meta discussion, but like, you know, for me there's been upsides and downsides. The upside, like you said, totally is that more companies are more willing to just be like, "Forget it, we'll send you one." <laughs> you yeah, know that's right? that's the best part of all of this so far mm -hmm. the worst part unfortunately is that a lot of companies were obviously not prepared to make the transition to digital only relations and it's and man i've had <laughs> I, I i've had some experiences especially in the last couple of weeks where i'm just like oh boy you guys you know you were hard enough to deal with in person um you know trying to do it over a, a video call is just like 
even worse. So, yeah. you know, for us, the job has gotten simultaneously better, you know, A, Hang because I don't have to leave, um, but B, more annoying because a lot of these companies just, you can just tell, like, you're not set up for this. You panicked, yeah. you know, you didn't, you didn't plan well, and it sucks as a result for all of us. Yeah, for sure. And, but at the same time, you know, you know, we're just as busy. Like, I don't feel as busy than before. Like, that's the good news yeah. for our industry, right? So, and as you said, the boomers are really paying for those uh, Volte ar- articles, aren't they? Oh boy, I couldn't believe how many people <laughs> got very scared of that. But uh, yeah, they they really loved it. I mean, eighteen key kind of messed that up. So you they know, did. They got what they deserved, right? Well, um, do you want to tell the folks on the show where they can find you on social and all that other good Android police stuff? Uh, find me at your peril on Twitter, um, <laughs> RDRV3. Um, I have all kinds of spicy takes. Um, you can find me occasionally posting on AndroidPolice.com sometimes. Mostly I'm just yelling at people and telling them what to do, though. Yeah, you're good at it. I mean, you know, I have no complaints. You know where to find me, folks. I'm at Tanker on Twitter and Instagram. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Think of the comic book character, but drop the vowels. And yeah, Twitter is where you should discuss this uh, podcast with me. And Instagram is where you should go to look at pretty pictures of the phones I'm reviewing and pretty pictures taken with the phones I'm reviewing. It's the same story as always. There's a YouTube channel called youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. That channel has some unboxings, a lot of them, and maybe some hands-ons and other content, some accessories and stuff. If you want to see some visuals that go along with this audio podcast, go check out the YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good notification bell and comment in the comments, stuff that everybody knows about YouTube. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. There's an RSS feed there for the baby boomers. And then there is Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, and everything else for the rest of us. And then uh, I'm saying that with tongue-in-cheek because I love RSS and I'm sad that it's not really being um, used as a podcasting anymore. Anyway, the other thing I want to point out is that there is a donate link. It helps right now with this economy. So consider donating to the show. It's in the show notes. It's a PayPal link. Please consider donating. Appreciate it. And I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been helpful since day one. This show is almost three years old and Audible has been with it since then. And I want to thank them because they have a special deal for you and for us in general. And that's a 30-day free trial with a free book at the end. And if you want to support the podcast, please consider joining Audible. The good thing about them is that if you like books like I do and you like reading and maybe you can't read, but because maybe you're doing something like uh, you're a delivery driver and you don't have access to reading physically books while you're driving because it's not very safe, you can, other than listening to podcasts, listen to some Audible books and they have a really great selection. I really love the fact that a lot of their books are read by the authors. feels really personal and immersive. And generally speaking, it's a fantastic platform. If you're a bookworm or not, even if you're not, check out Audible and please support the podcast in the process. The link is in the show notes below. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. Please consider supporting the show and supporting Audible. And I want to thank Audible, of course, for being with us forever. And thanks to them. So, David, thanks to you as well for being my guest. Thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure as always. Some good rants in there. Uh, We'll have another show next week, folks, and stay tuned until then. Cheers, everybody. Wow, it's like the best outro I've done in a long time. I must be caffeinated enough. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at 
mobiletechpodcast.com.